Dr. Amalia Gonyas-Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us on the line today from Johannesburg is Professor Dania Ballot, who is the head of clinical medicine at Wits University. The school hosts nine major departments, which include family medicine, pediatrics, surgery, internal medicine, radiation services, neurosciences, anesthesia, obstetrics, and gynecology, as well as psychiatry. It also houses three centers, the Steve Biko Center for Medical Bioethics, the Witt Center for Rural Health, and the Center for Palliative Care. In addition to her role as head of clinical medicine, Prof. Pallot is a renowned pediatrician with a subspeciality in neonatology and has published over 70 papers in peer-reviewed journals. Welcome to the show, Prof. Thank you for inviting me. As head of clinical medicine at WITS, can you tell us about some of the work that you do as well as the responsibilities that come with holding this position? So I have a dual role. Um, I'm still a clinical uh, doctor at Charlotte Macheke Johannesburg Academic Hospital, so I practice pediatrics and neonatology there. Um, but in addition, I am the head of medicine, which is something similar to the principle of a school. And um, I'm responsible for the academic management of a large staff and student body. So we've got about 2,500 doctors on our VITS platform and um, probably more than 1,000 undergraduate students um, studying medicine. I've got two undergraduate degrees. We've got medicine, MBBCH, but we've also got another degree called clinical associates or physician's assistants that also fall into um, the School of Clinical Medicine. So I'm responsible for overseeing the management of the academic um, side of all of this. And in terms of the academic side, managing the, the students, how are the numbers looking? Are we, do we have enough graduates coming through the system? I think one of the targets nationally is to increase the number of doctors that we are graduating. And I think the aim for WITS is ultimately to have 450 per year. Currently, we are below that, but our numbers are increasing. We also have a number of, um, I don't know if you've heard of the Cuban um, medical students, the Nelson Mandela, Fidel Castro uh, trained students. They will be returning in, in large numbers in July nationally, and WITS is taking 140 of these. And when they come into WITS, will they be, uh, how, how long will it take until they've completed and concluded with their studies? It will take until the end of 2019. So it's basically an 18-month period in which they are integrated into the South African medical system because it's quite different from the Cuban um, medical system. And that will obviously boost the numbers that go into the marketplace. What would you say your greatest challenges in this role? The challenge that I face looking at, at the school is that we are geographically spread all over the place. So the teaching hospitals are Charlotte Macheke, Johannesburg Academic, um, Chris Hani Baragornath Academic, um, Helen Joseph Hospital, um, Rahima Musa Child, Mother and Child Hospital, and even as far as Starkfontein um, Psychiatric Hospital. So 
it's quite difficult to communicate with all the people that are in all these different sites. The students also rotate through these um, through these sites, so the geography of of the training site is is quite challenging, and linked to that is communication. It's difficult to communicate um, equally with everybody um, in this very spread out platform. I'm sure that's where we can get some insights in from the ITC avenues to help on connecting networks. What would you say are some of the milestones that you want to accomplish in your role? I would like to get a sense of belonging among all the staff and students, which might sound a bit silly, but having having explained the challenges of the geography and the communication, it would be nice for everybody to know that they belong to the school. So I think I would like to strengthen the identity of the School of Clinical Medicine. So not just the WITS Faculty of Health Sciences, but that we have a stronger um, sense of belonging to the School of Clinical Medicine within that faculty. So that speaks to community and, yes. and strengthening those relationships and ties amongst student and faculty members. Yes. Today we're talking to Professor Dania Balot, who is the Head of Clinical Medicine at Wits University. Hi, I'm Zonke Digana, a South African Afro-Soul musician, songwriter and producer. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. It is you, the people, who are our true heroes. This is one of the most important moments in the life of our country, I stand before you filled with deep pride and joy, pride in the ordinary, humble people of this country. You have shown such a calm, patient determination to reclaim this country as your own from the rooftops, free at last. This year, 2018, marks a hundred years since the birth of South Africa's first democratically elected president, Nelson Kholihlahla Mandela. Join Channel Africa, South Africa's international public service radio station, as we celebrate a centenary of the life and times of Madiba. Join us in a year-long broadcast campaign in honor of Nelson Mandela's legacy through a variety of informative radio programs. Channel Africa, celebrating a hundred years of Nelson Mandela from an African perspective. You are listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, the African perspective, on frequency 9625 kHz on the 31 meter band, also available on DSTV channel 802. Today we're talking to Professor Dania Ballot, who is the Head of Clinical Medicine at Wits University. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Staying on this theme of, of connectivity, we are increasingly operating in a global environment. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the collaborations that you've been working on with counterparts in other countries? So I'm quite new um, as the head of, of of the School of Clinical Medicine. I only took up that role 
in October last year. So my main um, sort of collaborative work has been in the field of research. So we've got a national collaboration that's starting with um, Professor Pepper. It's headed up by Professor Pepper at the University of Pretoria, which is looking at um, genetic predisposition to brain damage in babies that have um, hypoxia during the birth process. And then I'm doing some work on infections in newborns with a Professor Charland from St. George's University in London. And then some stuff looking at critical care and intensive care in older children with Professor Lipman, who's an ex-South African um, at the University of Queensland in Brisbane. So you are also well mapped out in terms of geographies, looking yes. at London, <laughs> Pretoria and Australia. Mm. In the introduction, I mentioned that you'd published over 70 articles and that in addition to the research areas that you've just mentioned now, you, your interests extend to neonatal sepsis and developmental outcome of high-risk neonates, particularly of very low birth weight infants. Firstly, if I can please ask you to translate that to our listeners in a more colloquial English on, on what that research entails. So maybe just talking about very low birth weight infants, these are the tiny babies who are born below 1,500 grams. Um, so some other people might talk of them as being extremely premature, so they are often the babies that are born between 26 and about 30 weeks of pregnancy duration, um, but we tend to look at them as very low birth weight or babies less than 1,500 grams. And these are the babies that have got all the complications and the highest chance of dying and all that sort of thing. So I've done quite a lot of work locally looking at um, the risk factors for, for babies dying. The reason that's of interest is because then you can identify places that you can intervene to try and improve their survival. But it's also important to know how they, how they grow up. So more recently I've done quite a lot of work looking at the developmental outcome of these children because um, there's a risk that they could have all kinds of complications such as um, visual problems, um, learning difficulties, um, cerebral palsy, uh, seizures, poor growth and all kinds of things like that. I'm happy to say that most of our survivors do well. That's not to say they do not have problems and that there aren't some handicapped children, but on the whole, uh, the very tiny babies actually survive uh, to be normal. And would you say that some of that, I mean, earlier you, you spoke about a genetic predisposing to, to brain damage and hypoxia, and some of those elements that you mentioned on uh, learning difficulties, visual problems, is that all in relation to brain development and organs being very immature? The, 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 stat, the particular study that we're looking at with a genetic predisposition is actually in term babies because the, the baby's brain responds differently to lack of oxygen and things. So part of the problem with a very low birth weight infants is immaturity of everything, including their brain. And if they happen to sustain uh, hypoxia as well, then obviously that makes everything much worse. But the particular study looking at the genetic predisposition is actually in, not in the very low birth weight babies. That's in, in bigger babies. 
And when you talk about looking at how they, they succeed in their life, is that does that go back to, and I, I read an, an article which you, you'd featured in, and there was a comment which I, I'm going to quote, where you said, it's all very well treating them, but what happens to them when they grow up? And I understand that that then led to studying children within the first two years of their life to see how the life-saving work that you do when there are infants, how that contributes to them to have sustainable lives. One of my passions is that we can't just take information from Europe and the United States and just translate it to our conditions. And there isn't a lot of work on the outcome of high-risk newborns in, in South Africa locally. So it's been quite... Uh, exciting for me to follow up these babies and to see that most of them um, do well. And that can then guide how we allocate resources and develop health protocols and things like that for their ongoing care. Some of the studies in, in Europe have actually followed these children up into adulthood. I'm afraid that I'm nowhere near that, but if you have a normal developmental outcome at, at 18 months to two years, the chances are that you should be okay, um, you know, as you grow up further. And how would you say that socioeconomic factors play in nurturing these children to optimize their chances? So most of our children, the children that I work with, come from a poor socioeconomic background. So... Um, it's, it's within that context that they actually are develop. most of them are developmentally normal. Early childhood development and um, childhood uh, education and that sort of thing is unfortunately outside of the scope of my research, but clearly it's an intervention that, that we should explore because it would definitely assist these children in, in maximizing their chances. But if I listen to what you've said, the work that you have been doing is, is showing, it's demonstrating that it actually doesn't matter if you live in a, a poor socioeconomic environment, you've still got these chances of success. You've got other interventions which would obviously help any child develop, but the work that you do in those early stages sets them up to, to the start. I think the most important person in, in that context is a caring mom. I think um, if you, most of these children are fortunate enough to have mothers that are, are very um, involved, and I think that's really important. I think that's something that is hard to quantify as well, but I think that's, that's an important thing. There was an, another project that I, I came across called the Project to Improve Neonatal Care, PRINCE. Can you tell us what this program aims to achieve? Well, it really ties in with what I've been telling you about. Um, okay. So linking in identifying factors that we can improve um, the survival of the very low birth weight babies. And then as we go out is to look at what factors impact negatively on development and try and intervene with those. We participate in a... And which is something I didn't mention in international collaboration, is we participate in a neonatal network called the VON, the Vermont Oxford Network, which is a multinational, um, literally, network of neonatal units. And everybody submits information to a central um, repository. And then they give you information on how you are performing in comparison to the whole um, network. And 
in some ways we've got a lot, to, you know, way to go, but in, in other places we actually perform quite well. So that's another thing that's nice to do. And the the project for in, prints links into to the Vermont Oxford Network. That's great. Looking at the contributions of how the work that you've been doing ties up into a, a global picture um, to, to benchmark different countries against. Staying with the theme of, of medicine, what would you say would be your advice to girls that want to follow in your footsteps and enter the medical profession? Well, I think the first word of advice is that medicine is highly competitive, I think globally, not only in this country, so it's really hard to get into. Um, so it means you've got to work very hard and, and be quite goal-orientated. The subjects that you need um, for matric are English and maths and then science or biology. And um, there are different categories for getting into, into VITS, but you certainly need to be academically strong in whatever category you, you go for. And then I think the next thing is to say that medicine isn't any, everything. There are other allied um, disciplines that you can do, for example, nursing, occupational therapy, um, physiotherapy, and there's a, a relatively new course um, which a couple of the universities offer, including VITS, which is called the Bachelor for Clinical Medical Practice, BCMP, and you basically then are a physician's assistant. So the course is shorter and you have to work under supervision, but you work in the hospital and you can do all the stuff the doctors do, like put up drips and operate and things like that. And what's the difference? You said it's a shorter course. You are a physician's assistant, so you can't work. Uh, it's not the same as uh, being a doctor. You, you can't work in independent practice. You have to work under the supervision of a doctor, but um, it's still an opportunity for you to practice um, clinical medicine, if you want to put it that way. And long term, I'm, I'd assume that there would be an opportunity if you wanted to become an independent doctor, you would be able to convert Yes. On a personal level, your background, your, your family is from a medical space. I, I read that your mom was a doctor, your sister's a doctor. How do you think family has, has contributed in this? Well, I think I, I, when I was a very tiny girl, uh, people used to laugh at me because I said I wanted to be a doctor like my mother. <laughs> and then thereafter, for a long time, I said the one thing I didn't want to do was medicine. And then um, I'm sure my mom was a, a very strong reason for me going into the medical profession. And um, she was, she had much bigger challenges than, than I did. I think she was one of six girls in her class. Um, we were certainly not that bad at all. They were, we were probably about 40% girls in, in, in our class. But I'm sure my mother's example was something that influenced me positively. And I think that's also an important message, just how much mothers influence without without intending to sometimes. It's the, the, the passive influence yeah. as role models. Today we're talking to Professor Dania Balot, who is the head of clinical medicine at Wits University. Hi, this is Lira, South African Afro Soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amelia Malka 
on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy. You are listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, the African Perspective on frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band, also available on DSTV Channel 802. Today we're talking to Professor Dania Ballot, who is the Head of Clinical Medicine at Wits University. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. In the previous segment of the show, Professor Ballot spoke about her dual role as clinical doctor at Charlotte Makeke Hospital, academic hospital, as well as being head of medicine for WITS. We discussed some of the challenges as well as the opportunity space within the institution, challenges being communication and managing the geographic distribution of students and faculty members and opportunities of looking at how we can foster a greater sense of belonging amongst staff and students. We spoke about some of her research endeavors and with a strong emphasis on ultimately helping to reduce child mortality rates. Prof. Ballot, this program is all about gender equality. And in part of the conversation today, I'd like to highlight some of the important issues on the topic. And I'd like to start by asking you what your perspectives are regarding women's empowerment and gender equality legislation, especially in terms of helping close some of those gender gaps, whether it is pay, promotion or position. So I think that there certainly has been improvements um, over the years but we still have some way to go. And I'm not sure that legislation is necessarily the answer because you can you can have uh, a rule, but I think it's got to do with hearts and minds as well. And particularly as one progresses in um, seniority in, in management structures, women become fewer and fewer. And I think it's uh, things that are hard to quantify that need to be addressed. Um, I think... I think people talk about it as being a glass ceiling, that um, it becomes harder for a woman to uh, progress beyond a certain level. And I think in general our workspace could be more welcoming to women with children. I know not all women have children, but certainly if you're trying to be a a career woman and a mother, I think your challenges are, are really hard. And perhaps legislation in that respect could help. Our workspaces are not always that accommodating in terms of maternity benefits um, and child care facilities and things like that. And it's interesting you raise that. You know, I've had a lot of uh, people from Cabinet who have been on this program. And one of the things that they said that when we went into our first democratic elections and the democracy was born that they really worked hard as women to ensure that they had childcare facilities on site so that they could work long hours, um, that they knew that their children were there, they knew their children were safe. And it amazes me how organizations haven't created these types of, of centers or facilities for both mothers and fathers. Indeed. I think it's something that, we, that would improve, um, improve things. And you've already mentioned how when your mum first started out that she was one of six, in your generation it was 40%. Are 
are the the figures starting to change more uh, in terms of of, uh, of students that have enrolled at VITS? Oh, medicine is predominantly a female. Um, well, the medical student is, is basically a woman uh, nowadays. So, so the majority of the class are female. That's a remarkable shift. It is indeed. As we've just had International Women's Day on the 8th of March, are you happy with the state of gender equality in South Africa? Um, as I said, I think it's improved. I think it's improving, um, but there is still work to do, particularly at higher levels. And I think um, black women probably have more challenges than white women, so I think um, race and gender is something that we still need to work on. And possibly poverty too, as, yes, a, as an intersect there. And you're talking about the improvements that we're making. What would you say, in your opinion, needs to be done to to help make those improvements go a little quicker or or change faster? I think one of the things is awareness. So I think that um, programs such as this where you can talk about these things are important. Um, perhaps legislating um, just as we have disability compliance in, in buildings and things, maybe mm. it should be a, a compliance to make things mother and baby friendly. Um, I know, for example, in the shopping centres, they now have breastfeeding rooms and, and family toilets and things like that, which probably don't sound important if you don't have children, but when you do, you realise how, how valuable they are. Yes, you need those facilities. And looking at this as a gender dynamic, what role do you think men play in the picture? Um, I think men need to just be aware. I think they need to be sensitised to the issues that women have and they've got to be supportive. So again, it's the hearts and minds story. I think you need to, you obviously need to get buy-in from our male counterparts. Otherwise, you're not going to get very far. And can I ask if you've had any gender issues that, that you've experienced, would you be able to share some of them and, and how you managed to overcome them? Um, I'm a working mother, so I've I had three children within a very short space of time, so I had to learn to balance between being a, a busy uh, doctor with an academic career and, and trying to be a mom because, I mean, I think you want to be successful at both. And one of the one of the lessons that I learned is that you you've got to be a little bit kind to yourself, and you don't have to be 120% at both. It's okay if you are um, good and not super at both. Um, and I think it's important to believe in yourself. I think one of the things that girls probably experience more commonly is that people don't believe in you. That that oh, look, here she comes, this little girl sort of thing. But believe in yourself and, and you can actually do it. And I would imagine that you must have a, a really robust support structure in place to manage the demands of work and family. Well, that's one of the important things. You were asking about the role of, of men. Um, I certainly couldn't do what I do without the um, full support of my husband. Um, so your family support is essential if you are going to try and succeed at both. And I think the message there is don't be a superwoman. Yes. Today we're talking to Professor Dania Balot, who is the Head of Clinical Medicine at Wits University. 
Hi, my name is Yvonne Chaka Chaka and I'm UNICEF and Rollback Malaria Goodwill Ambassador. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in the struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy. A program against social ills such as racism, socio-economic class division and gender-based violence. Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amalia Balka every week on this day at this time. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective, on frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band, also available on DSTV Channel 802. Today we're talking to Professor Dania Ballot, who is the Head of Clinical Medicine at Wits University. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. <laughs> One of the questions that I ask my guests on the show who've made tremendous achievements in their respective fields of expertise is about the factors that they consider have contributed to their success. So some people speak about hard work, others talk about perseverance. In your opinion, what have been some of the key drivers to your success? Well, I think hard work and perseverance are essential. I think um, it's very unlikely. I mean, it does happen every so often if you win the lotto or something like that, that you have instant success. But success um, is a long-term thing, and you've just got to work at it, and I think you've got to ride the storm that will come. So I think you've got to accept that it's not always going to be a smooth road. And I think that you should take opportunities that life gives you. So if there is an opportunity, I think you should seriously consider it and and maybe take the risk and take it. And you've been at the Charlotte McKeke Academic Hospital for quite a considerable period of time. So you can attest to that point of sticking it in for the long run in order to achieve success. That's very true. And would you say that your career was well mapped out or a little bit incidental? My career, I mean, I never I never for one minute thought I'd end up where I am. So the answer is it was a little bit incidental. But opportunities presented themselves to me along the way. I had an opportunity to do my doctorate just after my um, internship. Um, and I took that. And um, I then, I thought I was going to be a physician and I didn't like internal medicine as a houseman and I landed up, then I thought I was going to be an obstetrician like my mother <laughs> and then I did a job in paediatrics and found that I liked the little babies which sort of linked in with obstetrics as well so that's how I became a paediatrician. So finding your path after some experimentation. Yes. And can you share with us who have been some of the strong women in your life? I think my my grandmother was not a professional person, but um, I actually think she was she was a strong woman too. Um, my mom was obviously um, very influential in in my in my career choice and my life, and um, yeah, I guess it's those two. Very prominent. And can you share with us some of the pivotal moments in your life growing up? What influenced you in those years? Well, that's hard to say, isn't it? I mean, I told you when I was very, very small, I wanted to be a doctor like my mom. So that obviously 
That's your mum's influence <laughs> coming through again. Both into my sub, subconscious and, and uh, must, have, must have played out. So early, early forms of positive brainwashing. Yes. <laughs> and given your career thus far, what would you say has been the best lesson that you've learned? That's hard to say, but I think, I think you must love what you do. So apart from taking the opportunities that life offers you, I think if you don't like it, if you really don't click with it and, and love going into work, no matter the challenges and, and the downside and everything, then you're probably on the wrong path. It's got to be more than just a paycheck. Yes. So driving through on passion. Yes. And lastly, as we close out our conversation today, could you please share a few words of inspiration which you'd like to pass on to young women in the continent that are listening to us? Well, it might sound a little bit um, contrary to what we've been talking about, but I would say don't take your career too seriously. Um, Extreme success in your career is not everything that counts. And you mustn't forget about the things in life that are free. What do they say? The best things in life are free. So don't overlook your children and your family. They probably count more in the long run. So looking at your life holistically. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure having you on the show today. Well, thank you for inviting me. You have been listening to Humanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to Professor Dania Balot, who is the Head of Clinical Medicine at Wits University. In the coming weeks for Humanity's series on leading women in South Africa's academic spaces, we will hear from the likes of Professor Judith Bruce, who is Head of the School of Therapeutic Sciences at Wits University, As a former head of nursing, her clinical research interest was in trauma and emergency nursing. During her career, she has successfully mentored over 40 postgraduate students. She was responsible for launching the NAPAD project on nursing and midwifery education in Africa, which was designed to respond to the concerns and pledges raised by heads of state and government of the African Union in five countries, namely the Democratic Republic of Congo, Kenya, Mozambique, Rwanda, and Tanzania. We will also be speaking to Professor Mamocheti Pacheng, who is the newly appointed Vice-Chancellor of the University of Cape Town. She is a preeminent educator and mathematics education researcher, with over 60 peer-reviewed research publications to her name. Throughout her career, she has focused on the development of mathematics education in primary and high school, as well as on teaching and learning mathematics in multilingual mathematics classroom. And Professor Pacheng also founded the Adopt a Learner Foundation, which is a non-profit organization that provides educational and financial support to help learners from townships and rural areas to acquire higher education. Stay tuned for more.
This is indeed a joyous night. We are delighted by the overwhelming support for the African National Congress. To the people of South Africa and the world, this is indeed a joyous night for the human spirit. Your health and apathy. This year, 2018, marks a hundred years since the birth of South Africa's first democratically elected president, Nelson Kholisasa Mandela. Join Channel Africa, South Africa's international public service radio station, as we celebrate a centenary of the life and times of Madiba. Join us in a year-long broadcast campaign in honor of Nelson Mandela's legacy through a variety of informative radio programs. Channel Africa, celebrating a hundred years of Nelson Mandela from an African perspective. Let us make Africa the tree of life.